1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love your brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. If you were tuning in for the first time, uh, it's helpful to know that our normal preaching philosophy here is we typically go through books of the Bible. And usually what happens is at the very start of the year, uh, usually like the end of December or like really early January, uh, when, we, when we move into a new year, uh, what I'll do is uh, I'll, I'll use that time to sort of pick what books we'll be going through for that, that year. And so I just pray about it a ton. I pour over the scriptures. I consider the spiritual health of our church, maybe some needs that we have, uh, maybe with some of the spiritual needs in the communities that we live in. Uh, and, and so I did that earlier this year. We, we had the schedule. Uh, and then in March, a few things happened, right? So in March, uh, you know, COVID hit, uh, the world shut down, uh, uh, including our Sunday location, the school that we were meeting in, meeting in shut down. Uh, and so we, we decided like, hey, this is a really opportune, and I think a, a, we need to almost hit pause on this series that we're going through. And we did a couple topical series. We started with one on what it means to walk uh, in faith over fear. Uh, and then we followed that up by looking at some of the attributes of God, um, which is uh, just, uh, you know, theology speak for uh, just aspects of his nature and his character uh, that, that we could find just hope in during this time. And then a few more things happened, just even in our small congregation, you know, some of our jobs were lost, finances changed. Uh, some of you got married or had kids in the middle of all this craziness, um, adding to the stress of things. I know for some of us in our small congregation, we've had family members who've gotten sick and even some family members uh, who have died from, from COVID. And as the year went on, uh, and then the, we saw just thing after thing just pile on, and our nation itself started to get more and more fractured. And I think we've never been more divided than uh, it is now, except maybe like Civil War, right? <laughs> But we're dividing over um, just silly things, over mass, over race, over politics. And so uh, earlier this year, as, 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 as this was all unfolding, um, I really started to pray on like, hey, I, th I think we need to sort of pivot and, and maybe just scrap our plans for the year and figure out what to do next. Um, was talking to some of our leaders about it. Um, Oscar recommended we go through the book of First Peter. And, and the more that I, I, I thought about it, um, I just sensed this burden from the Holy Spirit that we should go through this great book of First Peter, a book that is so timely in giving us hope, resilient hope, as we're calling it, for restless times. And so, you know, a few months ago, we started working our way through the great book of 1 Peter, verse by verse, and it just so happens that in God's providence this morning, we find ourselves in a text that is radical and complicated and controversial, uh, a controversial text on government, that happens to be during a political season that is highly emotionally charged and it happens to be the Sunday right before election day. And so I think the most appropriate thing for me to do right now is just pray <laughs> and then we'll go ahead and dive into the text. Does that sound good? All right. Uh, Father God, thank you for the opportunity that we have uh, to meet here uh, in this place um, for the Hatters' hospitality, opening up their, their home uh, so that we could have our church gathering, our Lord's Day gathering uh, this morning. As we, as we go into the text, Lord, we, we just, um, I just kind of laugh on the one hand, and on the other hand, I, I just see uh, your wisdom in making it that we would land on a text like this, on a weekend like this. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that as you, as you challenge us, as you exhort us through your word, Holy Spirit, would you just uh, soften our hearts 
and open our eyes to see what is good, what is true, what is beautiful about you and your word and the things that you call us to. We desire, Lord, as a church community to be formed more into the image of Jesus, that we might live in every aspect of our lives for the glory of your name and for the good of our neighbors. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Now, first I want to review the last two verses from the last sermon, okay? And the reason that I want to do that is because there is a, 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 very, uh, a, a very potent connection between these two. Verse, the last two verses of our previous section sort of set up what we're going to be going through, not only this week, but in the next few weeks, all right? And so in verse 11 and 12 of 1 Peter chapter 2, it says this, Peter's encouraging the church, uh, churches that he's writing to, and he says in verse 11, he says, Beloved, you just see his pastoral love he has for these people, right? He calls them beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles. Now, really quick, when he uses those terms, sojourners and exiles, what, 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 he's, what he's doing is pointing out the fact that as, as followers of Christ, as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, we're just passing through, Right? We are sojourners on this world. We are travelers on this world. And so he's, by, by calling them that, there's, there's a sense in which he's saying, uh, hey, look, don't live like this is all that there is because this is not all that there is. Don't invest all of who you are and all of what you have in the here and in the now. And so he says, sojourners and exiles, uh, he's like, I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. And quickly, when he uses that, that, that language there, he's pointing out that there is a sense in which the Christian is called to be um, a, a sort of spiritual soldier. Because there's a war that is being waged for what will rule your heart. And at every given moment, like everybody worships, everybody is a disciple. Even the most hard-hardened atheist worships someone or something, right? <clears throat> and so the idea is that, look, there's, since there's a war being waged for your soul and for your heart, like, like you're, you're going to decide what's going to rule over your heart. Is it going to be something or someone in creation or is it going to be creator God? And so he says, look, you wage war against your soul. Uh, and then verse 12, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles. Uh, that for them is those that, that are, are sort of like outsiders um, in the faith. Uh, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The idea here is, is Peter's pointing out that, look, as a follower of Jesus, you are an ambassador of the kingdom, ambassador of the kingdom of God. And so in all of your relationships and in all of your circumstances, our lives will say something about the God that we represent. You see, the principle that Peter is writing about in these two verses is this idea that our greatest evangelistic tool is the way that we live our lives. Our greatest evangelistic tool that we have is our conduct, the way that we live our lives. How you live is meant to display the truthfulness of the gospel that you believe in, the gospel that you embody, the gospel that you proclaim, that your life no longer belongs to you and to this world, but to the bigger work of King Jesus and his kingdom. There's a guy by the name of Alexander McLaren. He's a great uh, Scottish preacher. And he once wrote, the world takes its notions of God, most of all, from the people who say that they belong to God's family. The people, they read us a great deal more than they read the Bible. In fact, they see us and they only hear about Jesus Christ. You see, the issue here is some of us, we speak more loudly by our conduct that no one can hear what we're saying about our Christ. But see, if you truly care about spreading the hope of the kingdom, 
If you truly care about spreading the hope of the kingdom, your life should be marked by that kingdom. If you truly care about spreading the hope of the kingdom, your life should be marked by that kingdom. Kind of like how it's going to be, it's going to be hard to sell someone on the latest health cleanse if you got a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken in your arm, right? What you, what you, what you, 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 uh, what you, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, what you like say you proclaim and what you believe in should be, be marked by your, your life. And so it's with that in mind, with the fact that, that as believers, we're all witnesses to the watching world. It's with that truth in mind that Peter now transitions into the topic of submission and authority. He does it in our passage this morning, and he's going to do it in the passages that we're going to touch on uh, over the next couple of weeks as well. And so a big part of our witness as followers of Jesus <coughs> is related to this topic of submission and authority. Now look, I know that this is not a popular topic to unpack these days, right? Submission, authority, like like that is not a, that's not a popular thing. It's like as unpopular as Tom Hanks at a QAnon convention. If you don't know what that reference means, you are better off for it. <laughs> don't do that deep dive, right? It's like this conspiracy theory. But um but by, like by way of illustration, I want to ask you, how does it feel? <clears throat> oh, hey, buddy. <laughs> By way of illustration, I want to ask you, how does it make you feel when you hear the word submit or obey? Or how about this phrase, do what I say? Doesn't that just make you feel good, right? <laughs> doesn't that give you fuzzy feelings? Like, no, it doesn't. But look, I want you to see that your relationship to authority is so valuable in your Christian witness. Your relationship to authority has the potential to be a billboard, a billboard on display for the hope of Christ when you have a biblical relationship with authority in your life. And so here's what he says. Here's what Peter says in verse 13 of 1 Peter 2. He says, be subject, some translations will, will translate that or submit to. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now there's three things that I want you to understand from the passage that we're going to look at about the Christian's relationship with authority. Specifically this morning, we're going to be looking at governing authority. And then we'll look at other kinds of authority uh, in the next couple weeks. But three things that we need us to understand about the Christian's relationship with authority. So that that's, that's kind of the mega theme. And our points are going to be those three things. So the first thing that you need to understand is, first of all, <clears throat> why we even have an aversion to authority. Why is it that when we see something like in verse 13, be subject or submit, why is it that we have an aversion to words like that? Why is it that we have an aversion to phrases like, do what I say? And the fact is, we all have a jaded relationship with authority, all right? We have a jaded relationship with authority, and it's for a few reasons. First, it's because we are all children of Adam, Right? Our first parents, Adam and Eve in the garden. And the Bible tells us that we all have inherited the sinful nature of Adam. We inherit sin. We're sinners by nature and by choice. We're children of Adam, who was the original rebel, right? The OG rebel. <clears throat> and we all have a, a hint of rebellion in us because of that, because of original sin. Secondly, we also, as Christians this morning, we are Protestants, all right, we're Protestants. And so protest is part of our Christian heritage. And look, it was good to protest against the corruption of the Roman Catholic Church, like back in the Protestant Reformation. But look, now in the Western cultures, which were so influenced by what happened in the Protestant Reformation, like now in the West, we get drunk on protest. We want to protest about everything, right? Thirdly, we're Americans, right? We are Americans, America, and rebellion is part of our national heritage as well. And look, again, 
It is right and good and beautiful and, and a good thing to rebel at times. Rebellion, it was good for us to rebel against those redcoats. But now we want to rebel against anything that we can. In the 60s, rebellion became a virtue, right? Like if you're not rebelling against something at any given point in time, then like you're wasting your life. We need to rebel against something, right? And again, it can be good. Absolutely good. It can be a beautiful thing to exercise your freedom in protest and to disagree, but there's a way to do that in a way that's appropriate for a disciple of a Jesus in a way that is not. Also, the reason we have such an aversion to authority is we, we just live in a broken world. We live in a broken world and, 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 and sin is so pervasive throughout humanity that many of us know that there are authority figures and authority structures that are often broken, maybe even toxic or abusive. Some of us have personally experienced that. And so we have a natural distaste for authority. Now the point here with every single one of these, and we could add more to that list, but the point here is that aversion to authority is part of our nature and part of our culture. It is in us, it is around us, but with that in mind, with authority being part of our nature and culture, I want you to just turn really quick to Romans 12, verse 2. Come on, do what I say. Turn quickly to Romans 12, verse 2, where it says, do not be conformed to this world. Now, the idea is that there is a pattern there's a pattern that we think a certain way and we feel a certain way because of a pattern that exists. We go with the flow and we stick with the status quo. But the scripture here says, no, don't be conformed to this world. Stop conforming to that pattern in front of you. Instead, he says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So the idea is that my mind and your mind needs to be transformed away from the former way of thinking. The former way of thinking that we had because of the culture, because of the way that we were raised, because of the, just the way that media portrays things, because of the p p political party we subscribe to, or maybe just because of the loudest people on our social media feeds. Right? Like we need to be transformed away from the former way of thinking and instead have a, what, what he calls a renewed mind and think the way that God wants us to think. I want you to remember the context here that Peter is writing to. Remember what we looked at in verse 11 and 12. He calls them, he says, look, you guys are sojourners and exiles. You're at war for your heart. You're ambassadors for the kingdom. And it's because of that, it's because of that that you need to heed this command. It's because of that that you need to look at verse 13 again. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now I admit that is an unsettling command. That's an unsettling command. And we should, uh, we should expect that if God is real and if his word is true, sometimes it's going to say things that are unsettling to us. And it's an unsettling command because of oppressive abuses that many of us have seen or learned about throughout history or, or, or oftentimes have personally experienced ourselves. And just to be clear, Peter is absolutely not advocating for blind trust. All right? He's not. He's not advocating for blind trust. He's not teaching that human authorities have ultimate authority. That pay grade belongs to God alone, right? But he knows, Peter knows that there is a time and a place for uh, even like things like civil disobedience. For example, in Acts chapter 5, you've got this group of authorities that drag Peter and the other apostles into the Sanhedrin, before the Sanhedrin, this, this, this high religious court, and the Sanhedrin tells them, stop preaching about Jesus. Stop talking about this guy. He's not real. He didn't rise. Like, stop preaching about Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. To which Peter responds, hey, look, we're going to obey God rather than man. We're going to obey God rather than man. 
And so look, Peter knows that there is a time and there is a place for uh, disobedience, incivility. But my job with the passage before us is not to teach all the exceptions to this, which could be the temptation for a lot of pastors. But my job, if I want to be faithful to you guys and before the Lord and with his word, my job is to preach the force of this passage and its importance for our Christian witness. Now I want us to dig into what that first command word, be subject, actually means. All right? That first uh, phrase that we see in verse 13, be subject, Let's talk about what it means. It's this Greek word, hupatasso. Hupatasso, which means to sort of arrange oneself under or to like yield to, all right? And so what that tells us, if you are arranging yourself under or if you're yielding to, then that means this is voluntary, all right? And so if you're being forced or coerced into obeying, that is not the type of submitting that Peter's calling for. He's calling for a yielding to where you start to see authority as a good thing, as a blessing. You see authority as something that just serves a divine purpose. You see, we tend to want to always run towards this idea that authority is a curse or a killjoy. But that is not the biblical picture that we see here. That's not the biblical picture that we see in the text. And so, and so look, we, we recognize, yes, we have an aversion to authority. And number two, I want you to also understand that there is a divine purpose in human authority, which is to say that God has a purpose for authority, for human authority. He's created it. He's fashioned it for a reason. Look at the next phrase in verse 13. He says, be subject, what does it say? For the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. Why did Peter stick that small phrase there, for the Lord's sake? It's because he has this understanding. Peter's understanding is that submitting to human authority is one of the ways that we submit to the authority of God. All right, so if you're a follower of Jesus, if you are a disciple of Jesus, hopefully you want to find yourself under the authority of the God who made you and the God who saved you. And the principle that Peter is getting at here is that oftentimes submitting to human authority is one of the ways that we submit to God's authority. And so you can't say, you know what, I listen to God's authority, but not human authority. That's not how this works. That's not how this works. In the home, in the church, in, in, in the culture and in the nation and the structures that we find ourselves in, God works through human authority. I want you to check out what, what, what Paul says in Romans chapter 13. We looked at Romans 12 just a minute ago, but, but a little bit after that in Romans 13, the Apostle Paul says uh, these sort of stinging words related to this topic. Paul says... Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist, in other words, those governing authorities that exist, have been instituted by God. So one of the ways that God exercises his sovereign authority is through human authority. You see, in a Christian worldview, you cannot separate the one from the other. You can't. And he continues in verse 12, or sorry, verse 2 of Romans 13. Paul says, therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resists what God has appointed. And he says, and those who resist will incur judgment. And so the idea here is that human authority is in some sense the physical representation, the physical sort of outworking of God's authority and to rebel against human authority is in some sense to rebel against the greatest capital A authority. Now again, the natural pushback that we have is to this point is that we know that there are unjust authorities. There are unjust laws, there are unjust authorities. But according to Peter, 
there's still a sense in the which we should respect unjust authority. A few verses down, which we'll, we'll actually look at next week, in, in uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 18, a few verses down from, from, from our text, Peter says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So it's like, well, that, that hits where it hurts. This is God's word. You see, God carries out his sovereign will even through flawed and unjust authority at times. We don't get to say, look, because authority is warped, I don't get, have to yield to it. We don't get to say that. Because look, every human authority is jacked up in some way, right? Every human authority is jacked up in some way. Every human authority will disappoint at some point in time. Uh, so, some, sometimes people come to, to, to King's Cross, they come to our church community because of uh, bad leadership that they experienced at a former church. And, and look, if the leadership of that church was unbiblical, heretical, or abusive, then by all means, leave that church and find a healthy one. Find a biblical one. But if the only reason that you're here is because the leadership here, because me or the leadership here hasn't disappointed you in some way, then you just haven't been here long enough. I will disappoint you at some point, right? You'll wish I did something faster. You'll wish I didn't do something fast, like, you know, like uh, 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 so, so fast. Or, or you know, like you, you won't like some decision we make about groups or about where we're meeting or how we're meeting or the time or what have you, right? I've heard it all. <laughs> A quick qualification here, like I mentioned earlier, with Peter and the apostles in Acts 5, there is absolutely a time to push back against human authority. You know, see, if, if human authority, if yielding to human authority is a way that we subject ourselves to God's authority like we just talked about, then when that human authority suggests you to do something or asks you to do something that directly opposes your calling as a Christian, as laid out in the word of God, then look, you should push back. You should resist that human authority. Now, I want to be careful when I say that, though, because sometimes when I, when I lay out qualifications like that, like we start listing all of those things that we know that are qualifications to that, that all of those things that are the exception, right? I want you to feel the force of this passage. Peter's not trying to get you to think of all the exceptions, He's trying to change your posture of heart, all right? Like some people will look, at, they'll start listening to exceptions. Like, well, what about Corrie ten Boom, right? Like, like when she, uh, you know, like during World War II, she was hiding like Jews and, and the Nazis like in, in her attic. And like, like there's exceptions to these things, you know? Like what about Corrie ten, ten Boom? It's like, chances are you're not in that situation, right? Chances are you're not hiding Jews in your attic, Right? You just ask to put a piece of paper over your mouth, right? That's a very different thing. I want you to notice what Peter says next. He says, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors who were sent by him, who were sent by the emperor. The idea here is that Peter is talking here about the whole scope of civil authorities, See, the emperor, he's, he's the highest ruler in the land. That's why he's called the emperor as supreme. The governor in their, in their uh, uh, civil system back then was a local ruler that was appointed by the emperor. And so from the highest authority of the land to the most local authority in your neighborhood, Peter says, look, God establishes them all, even the ones who profane his name. We don't have to understand how or why he would do that, right? We, we can study it. We can think about it. We can debate about it. We don't have to understand all the reasons of how and why he would do that. But the fact is that he establishes them, and all of them were commanded to, in some sense, yield to. Now, it's helpful to know that the emperor at times, at this time, rather, the emperor at this time that Peter's talking about was a guy by the name of Nero. And if you know your history, Nero was not a good dude. He was one of those unjust rulers. 
he he came up with this conspiracy theory that his mom was like after him trying to get him off of the throne and so he conspired to poison her to like murder his his own mom he he was so full of himself that like he 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 kind of saw himself as as a really good musician even though everyone thought he was terrible right and so he had all the people who worked for him in his whole court his whole council he made them sit and listen to his music and sometimes he played for hours and hours and hours upon a day and and history actually tells us in a couple different uh, areas that that it would get to the point where sometimes women would who worked on his court would fake going into labor just to get out of not having to listen any longer right? Like this guy was a narcissist. He was full of himself. He was also the one who would lead a brutal slaughter against the Christians throughout the ancient Near East. A slaughter that would eventually lead to Peter, the writer of this epistle, would lead to his execution. And at the time that Peter was writing this, Nero's hatred for Christian was already boiling over. It was already pretty widely known. And yet the fact that Peter's audience are sojourners and exiles, even the fact that they're citizens of a heavenly kingdom, Peter says that does not exempt them from showing respect to and obeying the rulers of the earthly kingdoms. You see, in our American context, in a democratic republic, our highest authority is the U.S. Constitution. And by virtue of that, the people. And by virtue of the people and our nation's documents, we elect officials to lead and re represent us federally and locally. And then we, the Bible, well, so to apply that to our context, Peter is calling us to subject ourselves to that whole range of authority for the Lord's sake. Doesn't mean that you have to agree. Doesn't mean that your guy has to win. But for the Lord's sake, you submit to those authorities. Now, I want you to read the rest of verse 14 here. He says, to governors is sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And that phrase right there, that is the classic biblical definition of the government's role. Punish evil and reward good. Punish evil and reward good. You see, our God is a God of law and order. And so look, if you're in a position of authority right now, you get this. You get the importance of this. Any, any boss, any parent, any teacher, a good boss, parent, or teacher knows that bad behavior should have consequences and good behavior should be rewarded. Otherwise, things just unravel into into lawlessness and disorder and anarchy, and the whole thing falls apart. I want you to look at the next verse, verse 4, 15. He says, for this is the will of God. What is the will of God? Being subject to every humanist institution, from the governor on high to the, or, or for, to, from the, uh, the emperor on high to the governors in your neighborhood. He says, verse 15, and do this, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now let's go dig deep into that word ignorance there, right? Like, is he just, is he just throwing shade? Like, what does he mean by ignorant Full of ignorance of foolish people. That word ignorance is more than just what we understand as like basic ignorance, like lacking knowledge, right? You see, that word ignorance in the Greek is agnosia, and basic ignorance, like just lacking knowledge, is just agnia, right? It's a shorter word. And agnosia is a willful, it's not just a, a lack of knowledge, but it's a willful resisting of knowledge, so it's a willful, hostile rejection of true knowledge. That's why he calls these people foolish. He's like, these are people without reason, right? doesn't matter what facts you put in front of them. doesn't matter how reasonable or how you try to ra ra like rationalize with them. They, they, are, they, are, they will not submit to reason. And Peter is saying, look, the way that you silence people like that, the way that you silence those critics of Christianity is by good citizenship, by gentle honor, by submission rather than rebellion. 
I want you to, to remember our recent series on the, on, on the book of the, the, the small book of Titus, right? One of the qualifications of a pastor or an elder is that he's gentle in spirit. That is not something that our, our culture and that the media and, the, and politics that, that is, is, is embraced or, or honored or is considered as valuable. Gentle in spirit. Our culture wants us to be aggressive, to be domineering. But he says, no, be gentle in honor. Submit rather than rebel. Be a good citizen in that way. And look, otherwise, otherwise, Peter says, the critics are going to find more reasons to criticize, right? But we're to silence them through our gentle conduct, we're to silence them with our gentle conduct, right? Not by typing in all caps, but by our gentle conduct. He says, this is the will of God. Remember, we are ambassadors of a kingdom that is greater than all the kingdoms of the earth. And so if we are ambassadors of a much greater kingdom that has already been established, the one kingdom that will never waste away, the way that we respond, if we belong to that kingdom, then the way that you respond to authorities in your life will say something to a watching world about that kingdom that you belong to. In a sense, we could say submission to civil authority is gospel work. It's gospel work. Because look, here's, here's what the world does. Here's what the world says. The pattern of this world says, submit to authority, but only if, if, if you're the one in authority. Right? Or submit to authority if the one in authority is, is your guy. Or they'll say, submit to authority if the party that you belong to is in charge. Your party. If not, then just let all hell break loose. That's how the world works. I want you to, to heed this, this, uh, this, this quote from uh, a Presbyterian pastor in Tennessee. He's by the name of Scott Saltz. Um, Scott Saltz, it's a, it's, a, it's, a bit of a, it's a bit of a paragraph, um, but I think it's really good. So I want you guys to, to hear his words. This is prophetic. He says, in our current cultural moment, outrage has become more expected than surprising more normative than odd, more encouraged than discouraged, more rewarded than rejected. Outrage undergirds each day's breaking news. It is part of the air that we breathe, a native language, a sick helping of emotional food and drink to satisfy our hunger for taking offense, shaming, and punishing. Outrage has become something we can't get away from, partly because we don't seem to want to get away from it. Instead of getting rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, as Scripture urges us to do in Ephesians 4, we form entire communities around our irritations and our hatreds. Tribes and echo chambers form. Social media feeds grow. Pol political pontifications multiply. Book deals prosper. Podcasts rent. Churches split. On some level, we are all engaged in the seemingly insatiable, ubiquitous theme of us against them. What a great way to describe the age that we live in. What sociologists have been calling the age of outrage. Which, by the way, Slate Magazine helped coin that like over 10 years ago, right? This, this has gone on for too long. Nothing has changed in the age of outrage. And man, it's... He talks about churches splitting there. It, this, is, this is wild to me, right? That the one thing that should be our unbreakable bond, our shared citizenship in the kingdom of Christ, the only kingdom that won't waste away, 
that churches are splitting over who has the who will be in the highest office for just the next four years. Saints that were brothers and sisters laboring alongside of each other, serving each other, splitting over something that's of consequence for four years. You could make an argument implicitly, maybe a few decades, right? Because of all that happens under that administration. You're going to let this, that disrupt the unity and the camaraderie that you have with people that you share camaraderie with in like the kingdom of Christ, the eternal kingdom of Christ. I was at a, uh, a uh, uh, this, this gathering of pastors uh, with the Gospel Coalition in uh, at a church in, in, in Laguna Hills um, recently, uh, about a month, month and a half ago, and it was wild because like 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 some of these guys, uh, a lot of these guys have churches that are you know small and newer, like uh, kind of like ours. But some of these guys have medium sized churches, some of them have large churches. Uh, but we're all sitting like around this round table, and dude, so many of these guys were just lamenting how people were leaving the church over just like political differences. No, we think you guys are too far left or we think you guys are not right enough or we think you're too far right, right? Or you're not middle of the road enough, right? People that they've known for like 20 years or that they've served with or that they considered family who were just like leaving. And the funny thing is, there was, and this actually wasn't so funny at all, but like, like the one guy sitting to my right was talking about like this family that left his church because they weren't like, to the right enough, and that family left to go to this guy's church who was just saying the same thing. The families of the church were leaving because they weren't right, right, and like they're just going to each other just out of outrage, right? Look, the Christian posture should be different than the pattern of the world. Peter's reminding us we're ambassadors. We're ambassadors of the kingdom, the kingdom of reconciliation. We're ambassadors of the kingdom. It's not about us against them. It's us for them. We're for them. We're for the people on the other side of the aisle. We're for the people that don't yet know Christ. We're for the other. We are the ones with resilient hope. Followers of Jesus are the ones with a hope that is resilient in a restless world. And so look, our conduct... Our conduct and our language should reflect that. Way too many Christians today think they are fighting for the kingdom through their angry political discussions with their second cousins on Facebook. But in reality, all you're doing is engaging culture in the same way that non-Christians do. I have a friend named Alan Noble. He's a professor at Houston Baptist University. He talks about, he wrote this book last year called Disruptive Witness. And he talks about how we need, as believers in this age, we need to be a disruptive witness in the world. The idea is that, look, we won't stand apart in this age of outrage. We won't stand apart as the people who actually have the hope that people are looking for. We won't stand apart in this restless age of outrage if we're contributing to it too. It leads us to our last and final point. The other thing we need to understand about our relationship, the Christian relationship with authority, is that submitting to earthly authority, uh, or that we are called to submit to earthly authority, rather, as a free citizen of a heavenly kingdom. Submit to earthly authority as a free citizen of a heavenly kingdom. Read verse 16 with me. Peter says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, which is to say, don't abuse the freedom that you have to serve yourself. So live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Do you know what he's saying there? He's, He's arguing Peter's arguing that this life of submission is actually a life of freedom. It's a life of liberty. How is that? How, how is that a life of freedom? You see, we, we think that having total autonomy, having total complete autonomy, we think that's true freedom, but it's not. It's as free as like a fish on dry land, right? Let me out of this pool. Let me out of the water. That's not true freedom. That just leads to withering away. 
You see, true freedom is found in submitting to God's authority, which includes the earthbound ways that he exercises that authority. And look, in a world that is plagued with a humanity that bears the nature of sin, the multi-generational nature of sin that we've inherited time and time again, government and civil authorities are necessary for human flourishing. So true freedom is found in submitting to God's authority, which includes those earthbound ways that he exercises those authority through civic government, through for the common graces that are available to all people, and through the local church, through for the saving graces that are available to, to his people. Look, this is just how it works. Now, why do most people, though, why do most people in culture, why do most people choose to submit? Most people will submit because they think that they have to, right? They feel like they're, they, they, they have to. They just absolutely have to submit because if they don't, they'll be destroyed. And if they do submit, like, they'll have something to gain. But Peter's saying, look, as a Christian, you're free from both of those. As a Christian, you're free from both. You don't have to fear what the government can do to you as a follower of Jesus. Even if they try to take your life like they did with Peter, like Nero did with Peter, even if they try to take your life, they can't truly take it from you because whoever believes in the Son will not perish but have everlasting life. Even if they try to take away your freedom, they can't truly take it from you. They can't truly take your freedom from you because you have the greatest of freedoms in Christ. Freedom from the weight of God's law, freedom from the slavery of sin, freedom from the patterns of the world, and those freedoms over supersede all the others. And you don't have to obey because you think that somehow you'll get ahead in this life. You don't have to obey because you think that's the only way to move forward in this culture. Because look, you have all you need in Christ. Through the freedom that you have in Christ, you have all that you need. You have real power in the presence of the, of the Spirit. You have a great provider who will care for every single one of your needs. And so we submit as servants of God, not as servants of the state. That's freedom. We get to submit as servants of God, not as servants of the state. We're free from human institutions. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. And so we relate to civil authorities on a whole different ground than the world does. We serve and we submit, we serve at the calling of a different king and a different lord. Not a governor or a president or a court, but the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. So look, that means in our democratic republic, we vote according to conscience guided by the word. We can debate respectfully online and in the public square about what that will look like. We should do so in a way that's Christianly. But at the end of the day, and after Tuesday, after November 3rd, we ultimately yield to the authorities that God appoints in place for his sake. So that means when everything's said and done, we pay the tax, we pray for our leaders, we obey the laws, we heed even the COVID guidelines, not because we're sheeple, but because we belong to the great shepherd. We belong to him. We're not serving the state, we're serving him. We're not following the state. We're following him. Look, Peter ends this section, and then we'll close. He ends this section with clear exhortations on what this is going to look like to live in that freedom of Christ. He says, he just lays it out in verse 17, honor everyone. He says, so that, that, that means like for the Lord's sake, we treat everyone with honor because everyone is made in the image of God. Regardless of class, regardless of political party, regardless of nationality or heritage, regardless of their religious upbringing, treat everyone with honor because they're made in the image of God. 
And so I want you to ask yourself, like, how can you obey that command this week? How can you obey this command to honor everyone this week? And maybe ask yourself, like, how am I tempted to dismiss this command? This should be a distinctive of the church. And he says, love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood. Man, above all, like Peter knows that there is going to be a temptation for some to divide over, to divide amongst the brotherhood, amongst the saints, amongst being brothers and sisters in Christ. Peter knows that there is going to be a temptation for some to divide the brotherhood over trivial differences on civic duties. And so he says, look, love the brotherhood. Care for one another. The love we have for one another in, in the church should be unique. And then he says, fear God, which means to arrange yourself under the beauty of his majesty. Live every day in awe of his greatness and his grace. Lastly, honor the emperor. Not fear the emperor, not worship the emperor, not never push back against the emperor, not don't ever vote him out or, don't, or not like always keep him in. Just honor. Honor him in the same way that we, he said a few sentences, a few commands earlier, in the same way that we honor everyone. And look, it's not for the emperor's sake. It's for the Lord's sake. He alone is worthy. So where do we go from here? Maybe for us practically what we need to do is just start by admitting that, that we don't always love authority. There are places where you don't want to submit. There are places where you want to be supreme and not under the authority of God. That's why we need King Jesus. The King of all kings. The King who came for us. The King who pursued us. The King of the cross. The rebel inside every one of us can only find hope in the midst of our spiritual rebellion. We can only find hope in Jesus. The one who, with the cross on the horizon, seeing that he was going to die and be dragged to his death, he was the one who submitted to his father's authority and prayed, not my will be done, but yours. And in submitting to that father's authority, he submitted himself to unjust human authorities who arrested him, condemned him, tortured him, and hung his beaten and bloodied up body on a cross so that through his submission, he could atone for our sins, adopt us into God's family, bring us into his kingdom so that we could be saved, renewed, and truly free. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.